1: Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, joined here by MLB.com National Editor Matt Myers. On today's show, there's actually a trade made, Seattle and Tampa. Shockingly, we'll talk about that from a StatCast perspective. Try to figure out where AJ Pollock is going to go and how many outfielders Cleveland is going to need. Those things are related. What's the deal with Sonny Gray? What's the deal with Josh Donaldson? Who should the Astros fix next? And should Harrison Bader have won a fielding award? We have so much to talk about. And as a reminder, StackCast is powered by Amazon Web Services. Matt, we had a trade. I'm going to shock you. It was made by the Seattle Mariners and Jerry Depoto. I know that's stunning. Even more so, it was a trade with the Tampa Bay Rays, which seems like it happens a lot. I can never keep these guys straight because the uniform colors are so like similar. I don't know where Erasmo Ramirez is right now. Um, <laughs> Presumably on one of those teams? I think it's Seattle. I think it's Seattle. Mike Zanino, Guillermo Heredia, and minor league left-handed pitcher Michael Plasmeyer to Tampa Bay. Malik Smith and Minor League Outfielder, Jake Fraley, to Seattle. What was your first impression upon hearing this trade?
2: I liked it for the Rays because I think Zunino is pretty good and the state of catching is kind of not great, as we've discussed on this show. So I felt like, okay, this feels like a little bit of an upgrade for the Rays, and they usually they've got some depth in the outfield. They're kind of good they're kind of good at creating Malik Smith type, like finding value out of guys like that. So I almost
1: feel like it's hard to find a Zunino type. That I, I like this for the for the Rays. That's cool. My my reaction uh, was similar, but not for the same reasons. Uh, my first reaction was, "Well, damn! I guess they're not going to trade for J.T. Bermudo because I thought the Rays were a perfect fit for him." Uh, you're right. The the state of catching is very poor right now, as we talked about last week. But it's also interesting because the Rays had a ton of outfield depth. They have Fam, they have Kiermaier, and they have Austin Meadows. And Bowers can play there a little bit, and Brandon Lau can play there a little bit. So trading Malik Smith. Uh, Makes some sense because I think Heredia is more of a fourth outfielder type. But I thought this is really interesting. Um, Eric Neander, the general manager of the Rays, GM, one of the front office types. There, I can never remember.
2: It doesn't. I mean, he, I think he's one. Like it's weird. Their, their title structure. Yeah. Weird. Like he doesn't. <laughs> Heim- he, has the, he has the GM title. That's what I thought. And that was part of the reason why High Bloom was interviewing for other jobs because he doesn't have the GM title.
1: Uh, Anyway, I thought this was interesting, and this is from Neil Salons, who is the uh, Tampa Bay radio guy. Uh, Neander says that Heredia, by their evaluations, is a top-of-the-line defender, and I thought that was really interesting, because if you look at the three major defensive statistics systems, including our own, uh, UZR had him as pretty negative, uh, minus four last year in 2017, being last year, we'll change that at some point, and uh, minus five in 2018, DRS was sort of split plus 6 in 2017 minus 10 in 2018 and we had him uh by outs above average plus 9 in 2017 and plus 6 in 2018 which I thought was really interesting plus 6 is tied for 24th but he also only played 832 innings which was the 64th uh that says to me we might be in alignment with what the Rays are looking at I guess yeah that it seems it seems to me it almost seems like
2: they they wanted to maybe trade they were able to trade away Malik Smith and get sort of like a uh Maybe another version of of Malik Smith uh, to kind of to fill in. I mean Smith had a great great year with the bat last year, and Heredia has never done anything quite to that level. But then again, Malik Smith never hit before last year either.
1: Well, it, it really not before the second half. He didn't do much in the first half. He was very good in the second half. But if you look last year, 214 hitters had at least 400 plate appearances. The largest difference between expected weighted on base and actual weighted on base was Malik Smith. Yeah, he had an ex, uh, an expected weighted on base of 287, and his actual weighted on base was 340. Now, I think we know that some of that is due to speed. Uh, we've, we've kind of established that, but it's not all due to speed. I think a little bit about that is uh, some fortunate outcomes. Uh, Scooter Jeanette, I think, makes a lot of sense is the guy right behind that. Also interesting to me, he had a 93-point weighted-on-base difference between home and road, better at home. The same is Trevor's story, and I certainly don't think you look at Tampa Bay as being the same kind of hitter's park as Colorado. I also think that's kind of a blip, but it's interesting because that's a thing that happened.
2: Yeah, it is also. It's like uh, because like the— the Mariners are kind of selling low on um Zunino. Zunino. But he wasn't he wasn't great last year. Like he No, it's, no, they they're selling low on him. Yeah. Because he, I mean, he, he had a 84 weighted runs created plus, but the year before he was 127. The year before that he was 117. I think it's interesting when you have a, a team selling someone low for another team basically selling high because right those are the two main pieces: Smith and Zunino, or at least the, the names to me in this deal.
1: Um, that's true, but there's a name I learned a new name from this deal. I'm going to be honest and say I had never heard of Michael Plasmeier, and why would I have? He was drafted in the 2018 draft. He, you know, spent half a season uh, at A-Ball with the Mariners, but I thought this was really interesting. He's one of the guys who's going to the race. Uh, he had in 24 innings at A-Ball, 44 strikeouts and four walks. I spent more time than I care to admit this morning trying to figure out if he had pitched in any sort of park that we had access to stack data from. Unfortunately, we don't, but I still found that interesting because of these two facts. Our friend Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs wrote that there were over 3,800 pitchers last year who had at least 20 innings. That sounds like a lot, but that's what he found. Plasmeyer ranked third in strikeout rate, which is insane to me. And I found a uh, Jim Callis tweet, our friend Jim Callis from MLB Pipeline, who, when the Mariners drafted him last June, said that he had an 87 to 92 mile an hour fastball with a very high spin rate. And I think that's cool. And I just, I wish we had the numbers to offer you, but we don't. But when I look at a guy who throws 87 to 92, who strike out 44 batters against four walks, I'm going to assume he had something going on and a high spin rate. makes his definitely, an inter-
2: definitely an interesting pickup for... um for the Rays,
1: yeah, and um, you know, I I think kind of later this offseason, I want to get into the fact that I think the Rays should be like super aggressive. Like, I really I really thought Real Muto was a great fit for them. Obviously, he's a great fit for any number of teams. Um, but I know like the Red Sox and Yankees aren't going away. I get that, but now seems like a good time. I mean, yeah. So what
2: the question is, what do they do?
1: Uh, get another starting pitcher who can you know reasonably rely on to give you like 120 innings and add a bat. Nelson Cruz, I like Nelson Cruz there. Maybe, no, maybe Nelson, an infielder. Nelson Cruz to Tampa makes a lot of sense. Josh Donaldson to Tampa. How about that? We'll get into Josh Donaldson in a second. But I, I like – It's probably not going to happen. But I like the idea of Josh Donaldson uh, going there. So there's a lot of, obviously, hot stove and free agent topics that we're probably going to spend all winter talking about. And one of them that kind of stood out to us a little bit is is sort of a combination of A – what's going to happen with AJ Pollock? And B, where are Cle- where's Cleveland going to get any sort of outfielders? The Cleveland depth chart right now, because Lonnie Chisholm is a free agent, and Michael Brantley is a free agent, and Bradley Zimmer got hurt and had surgery on his shoulder and is going to miss a decent chunk of next season. Their current outfield is Leonis Martine, who I kind of like, Greg Allen, and Tyler Naquin. That is not good enough. You need at no, least, it's at least it's two outfielders, and, and,
2: and they're saying this, and I'm saying this as the maybe the 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 former chairman of the uh, Bradley Zimmer fan club. But this is
1: uh, it's not <laughs> what you want. It's not what you want. <laughs> um, so you know, there's a couple of things happening here. We I think we all agree that they need, let's say, two outfielders, right? They they can probably get by with all these guys combining, you know, platooning somewhere else. And it's probably not gonna be Brantley. We were both a little surprised that they did not extend the qualifying offer. I, I mean, there's there's two
2: forces at play here, right? Because I still think that they could I could easily see them coming back and saying knowing that Brantley's not gonna get eighteen million average annual value, of trying to go out and negotiate a multi year deal with him for a low, for a lower term.
1: Does this conversation sound familiar at all? I bet if you were to go back a year ago to find our podcasts, we'd be talking about the Cleveland outfielders. The only difference then was you can't count on Michael only because he's always hurt, right? I'm almost positive we had the same discussion saying they didn't have enough in the outfield. And, you know, it kind of turned out that they didn't. So what's interesting now um, are these rumors that they might be willing to trade one of their high-quality starting pitchers. I really don't see them trading Corey Kluber. It makes no sense to me. You could see Carrasco. Uh, you know, they'd, Clevenger's young, so they'll keep him. You could see, you know— Bauer maybe. I don't know how it's going to go, but Carrasco seems like seems like the, the- I have loved Carrasco since like 2009. Uh, I agree with you. He seems like the most obvious one uh to go. So, uh our Anthony De- uh <laughs> Anthony Kastrovitz, uh, wrote a piece for mlb.com about which teams might trade for one of the top arms on the Indians. Uh, he came up with the Yankees, the Reds, the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Astros. Personally, I have a very strong bias here that I would like to see them trade Carrasco to the Cubs. For Kyle Schwarber, if only because that's what I wrote on Cubs.com like two weeks after they won the World Series in twenty sixteen, and Cubs fans have never let me forget it. I would love that. That'd be great. I guess, but you still the, the problem
2: is then you still you're trading for Schwarber to play the outfield still, which yes. really
1: because they still have got in, in, unless you think
2: Encarnacion's is going to play first base.
1: Uh, well, they still have Alonzo.
2: That's true. They have Alonzo. So this thing it's like right. That's one place where tommy Schwarber isn't really that great of a fit. Well, right now.
1: no matter who they trade for, they're going to also have to sign somebody. I yes. Think. And if you look at the free agent outfielder list, I think we uh, both agree Andrew McCutcheon makes a certain amount of sense there, but he's not going to play center field. He's a a corner outfielder at this point. Probably say the same thing about Adam Jones, although I think McCutcheon's a better player at this point. What about A.J. Pollock? A.J. Pollock's really interesting. He is going to turn 31 in April. He is probably the only actual center fielder on the market. And Andrew Simon is writing something up about A.J. Pollock, pointing out the pros and cons uh, of guy who's generally been pretty good, but he's just never been healthy. He's got one season where he's had 500 plate appearances in his career. He broke his elbow in 2010 and missed a whole season. Right hand fracture in 2014. Missed almost all of 2016 with another elbow fracture. Has missed about two months in each of the last two seasons with a groin strain and a thumb fracture, respectively. And I thought this is cool. This is what Andrew wrote. uh, These two competing points. Since the beginning of 2014, his 469 games played ties him for 218th among position players, but over the same span, his 17 wins above replacement, baseball reference version, is 41st. He's a pretty good player. He's incredibly risky.
2: Yeah, the thing is, and the other thing I was talking to Andrew about this that he pointed out is that, like, health is a skill, right? We Staying healthy. But, like, he has a weird number of, like, kind of fluky injuries. So it's, like, it's hard to know, like, you know, like, the, like a fractured elbow Twice. on a slide. Twice
1: on the same elbow.
2: So it's just, like, I mean, I, I don't think any – I think t- – Teams will rightfully be skeptical of him and they're not going to – he's not going to get paid as a, as, a, as a four-win player like, oh, we can expect four wins from you – you know, four war from you. But um, – and that sort of makes him interesting. In some ways, he's kind of like the most calculated risk out there because if you get the good Pollock, you get a real difference maker. And for a team that's kind of like on the bubble, he's – if you're if you're an 85 win team on paper now, like this is the player to me you want because he could really put you over the hump.
1: Yeah, if you look at his expected weighted on base for each of the four years of Statcast in 2015, uh, it was 342, which was pretty good. Major league average this year is about 311, uh, and he outperformed it that year. The next year he didn't really play, so it doesn't really matter. 2017, 341, also pretty good, but this year it dropped down to 327, and you know that's not necessarily just about the humidor there that's you know about a, a little bit of a change uh, in skill and he's also you know he's getting a little bit older um but he's the only center fielder this is what adam found the most center field starts in 2018 among free agents are adam jones who started 105 games but got shifted to right at the end of the year and he's not really considered a center fielder uh, austin jackson who you know fourth outfielder type who probably played more than you expected last year and bryce harper who is not going to be a center fielder going forward it's really pollock or nobody, if you're a center fielder.
2: Yeah, well, the thing about Cleveland, I will say, a specific fit, and obviously, there's there's plenty of teams that could use Pollock, um, is that Martin, I mean, he had that, that, that kind of crazy illness last year that derailed the season. He is a good defensive center fielder. So like, right. the one the one good outfielder they have is a center fielder. So they don't need a center fielder per se. Um, but, I mean, you, you could move Pollock, you could move Martin if you wanted to, Um I think McCutcheon to Cleveland feels like a no brainer. That that feels kind of obvious. It's close to Pittsburgh. He's good. He's still pretty good, but not great, so it won't be like crazy expensive. No qualifying offer. So like he checks all the boxes for like what Cleveland would probably be looking for in a in a
1: in a player. Trade uh, sign sign McCutcheon and trade Carrasco for. That's the hard part, right? That's the hard part. Yeah, I mean the thing. Hey, you know what they should have done? I'm going to interrupt you for a second. They should have traded for Tommy Pham last year. That was so perfect. How did they let the Rays jump? It's probably out missed
2: opportunity. The thing about that team, though, is like their infield is so good. Yes, that they could kind of, they could just be like, you know, we're just gonna like go all in on defense, kind of hope that like Zimmer can come back healthy and just be like, you know, you're gonna play bat, play center field, bat ninth, just catch everything and we're good, you know. And then you've got Martine and Wright. So then you're gonna with those two guys, you have like a sick defensive outfielder, and then you kind of fake left field with like, you know, maybe it's McCutcheon or whatever. And their infield is so good that that's gonna be enough to win their division.
1: I mean that's true, but you're not you're not building to win the division. You're building for how do I beat Houston and Boston and the Yankees, which they haven't been able to do lately. True,
2: but they I mean with I mean assuming their pitchers are healthy, which this year they weren't. Right, Bauer got hurt, and they, with that team, they always the assumption is are their pitchers healthy? In a in a playoff series, y- y- you like their chances. I know they got like worked this year, but like that's not a representation of like how good they actually are, in my opinion.
1: Is there a is there a fit with the Mets, Brandon Nimmo? For Carrasco, not just not one to one, obviously, but like it feels like there's something that you could work around there. The Mets don't need a starter necessarily, but also they gave a lot of starts to guys like PJ Conlon last year, so why not like load up?
2: I think that the to me actually a, a Jay Bruce reunion makes more sense because yeah. but Mets, not for Carrasco. No, not for Carrasco. More for like I don't even know who would who you know who who would be a fit. It, Daniel Salazar. It would, it would be more like know. a money, yeah. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I mean, missed all year, but yeah, exactly. That's but that's I mean, if you're the Mets, um, that might be the kind of move you make. But that that makes. Nimmo, I think they would consider trading for the right uh, guy. But right now, he's their center fielder, and they can't really count on Cespedes. So it's sort of like... Ligaris, they, yeah. Yeah, so, and they can't really count on Ligaris either, who actually who's kind of
1: injury-prone in his own right. So anyway. Uh, speaking of pitchers who are going to get traded, Sonny Gray is going to get traded, and I have found this so fascinating. This is even before the Yankees signed CeCe's bat the other day. Uh, you know, they need starting pitching, right? Because... They only have Severino and Tanaka before Sabathia's guys you could count on. Um, they've had you know some free agency, some injuries. And Brian Cashman said, yeah, the plan's to move him uh, because I don't want him going through – I don't want to keep going through the process of something that won't work here even though it will work somewhere else, which is like, wow, you don't hear that so much. They traded for this guy like a year and a half ago and he was like the big ticket guy.
2: And gave up you know the time
1: – it's been a lose-lose trade so far. Yeah,
2: because <laughs> like, it you know, was Dustin Fowler who, like—
1: And, and Caprellian. Oh, oh, they, well, they, they traded Fowler while he
2: was hurt, though, right? That was a thing. Well,
1: he, he, he got in the one game. That's what I'm saying. He yeah. was— um, None of the three guys have come back to bite them yet. They're yeah. still young, obviously. Uh, it's it's interesting. So Gray is still kind of young. He only turns 29, uh, maybe today. Maybe happy birthday, Sonny Gray. We're talking about you on the internet. Uh, one year of arbitration left, it projected about $9 million, which is— fine that's for, easy enough.
2: For, for reference to go back to Carrasco for a second Carrasco has a nine million dollar option this year and then another nine million option yes. for 2020 and he's a better pitcher which makes him an incredible trade chip. but anyway I digress back to Sonny Gray
1: Sonny Gray had a 490 ERA this year in 130 and one third innings.
2: I, I gotta say I'm shocked he threw 130 innings I like I felt like the Yankees were doing everything they could not to pitch the guy
1: well it's funny you say that after August 1st he made only three starts and got into seven games in a relief so that's basically uh what happened obviously they'd gone out and they you know traded for Jay Happ and they added some depth um so it was interesting to me I want to know like what went wrong with this guy like there has to be something and it wasn't velocity uh his fastball velocity his four seamer was ninety three six his first full season in 2014 it was ninety three eight not a big difference his sinker dropped only from ninety three six to ninety three oh it's not velocity it's not spin he, he's always been a high spin rate guy uh 90th percentile on both his four seamer and his curveball this year that's still pretty good. And it's not a change in his pitch mix. I mean, the curveball use, like all the other Yankees, he stopped throwing his fastball as much to throw a breaking pitch. Curveball use jumped to 25% from his usual 13%, but it was still pretty good. He allowed a 232 average and a 341 slugging against it. The 4 seamer got lit up, 339 average, and a 554 slugging percentage. And, you know, Yankee fans love to harp on this point. They all hate Gary Sanchez, and they think he is the reason for bad catching. He only threw eight and a third innings to Gary Sanchez. I'm not even going to tell you what the numbers were because they're irrelevant. It literally does not matter. So none of those things are the matter. It's not strikeouts. He had a 21% career uh, strikeout rate last year. His career, also 21%. And last year, he allowed a 39.3% hard hit rate. That is slightly worse than average. But his career average, career meaning since 2015, when we can track that, is 38.6%. I've given you a giant list of things it is not. And I thought that was fascinating. He's not hurt. His velocity is not down. All these things you would think. And if you look at the expected, weighted on base, so that, you know, accounts for quality of contact and also strikeouts and walks. Major league average last year was 311. His was 317. The year before was 314. The year before was 333. I don't think he's ever really been that ace that people kind of thought he was going to be with uh, Oakland. But he's, I don't know, still like an average looking pitcher. None of this explains to me how he collapsed last year. There's going to be something here, I promise. What is it, Mike? Tell us, tell us uh yankee stadium not a friend of his if you look at the last two years so 17 18 after the trade uh or excuse me just last year let's start with 2018 he allowed a uh, 698 era at home 406 on base 526 slugging of every pitcher in baseball who had 50 innings pitched at home he had the second worst weighted on base only to matt moore who had a terrible season uh pitching in a hitter's ballpark but on the road 317 era a 295 on base a 320 slugging his road weighted on base is basically what Cindergard or Robbie Ray did all season. That is a massive massive difference. And if you look at every single pitcher, the 134 of them who faced 200 hitters both home and the road, his OPS difference of 318 points was the largest in baseball. 933 at home, 615 on the road. Shockingly, number 2 and number 4 on that list are guys who pitch for Colorado. Yeah, if you have a larger home road split than Rockies pitchers, yeah. it's uh it's pretty it's I don't know what it's telling you but it's 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 something. So, when I when I saw that, my first thought was, okay. Short porch in Yankee Stadium is ridiculous. We've talked about Aaron Judge's home road splits before, and it's pretty clear you can get some easy cheap dingers if you just pop it down the right field line. But I don't think that's what's happening here, not necessarily, because what's fascinating to me is if you look at his two years with the Yankees at home, 18% strikeout rate at home, 24% on the road. 12% walk rate at home, 6%, excuse me, 8% on the road. 44% hard hit at home, 33 on the road, 47% ground ball rate at home, 52% ground ball rate on the home. It's not just balls flying over the fence. He's legitimately a good pitcher away and a bad pitcher at home, and I don't know why that is. It's,
2: it's, could this be one of these like really weird things? Like you know, we've talked we've talked in the past about how some parks just have a good batter's eye yes. and are easy to hit in. Like maybe this is like he just hates the mound at Yankee State. Like maybe there's something about the conditions of pitching there. Sure.
1: That just like don't work for it's, him. It's very possible. I don't have the answer. I would I would completely buy that. And I'm, to be honest, I'm kind of hoping it's that. Because if it's not that, then you start getting the like armchair psychology of oh he can't handle the Bronx. He's Ed Whitson and you know AJ Burnett and all that. And I I kind of hate that stuff. It might be true. I have no idea. But there has to be something. But it,
2: but what's interesting about it and it, going back to Cashman's comments, you hear Cashman saying like oh like we're moving him. And you're like why would you crush your leverage like yeah. that? But then you look at the situation. It's like you know what. There's going to be a lot of teams interested in Sonny Gray for one. It's low risk. It's a guy with a track record of success and a guy who's shown that even the last couple, even the last year, he was very good when not pitching Yankee Stadium. There are any number of teams that would love to have Sonny Gray on a one year deal. So I think they're
1: actually not that he's going to net like a huge prospect, but the Yankees will get a decent return for Well, and they'll probably pay some of the contract cuz you could see this being like a non-tender situation if they don't make a trade for him. They probably won't get back the value of the prospects at least at the time that they sent No, them. they won't. I mean, but you know, you're right. If you think about it, you know, how many teams would want this guy for a one-year risk? There's like, you know, 20 different teams in baseball who could do it. I also thought it was interesting uh, you know, his whole game is is league average strikeouts and high ground ball rate. Well, there were only five guys, uh, including Gray, who did what he did last year, who threw 100 innings, had at least a 50% ground ball rate and a 20% strikeout rate. And these names are really interesting. Uh, Aaron Nola, who was great. Walker Bueller, who was great. Lance McCullers, pretty good. Uh, And Trevor Cahill was pretty good. And also Sonny Gray. Like, that's kind of cool. And when I thought about, you know, what teams would be in on him, and I I think you're right, um, like the entire American League West, think about all those teams. Like the A's would probably take him back. We know the Mariners and Angels desperately need starting pitching. How about Texas for Jerks and Profar, because well, listen, We know the Yankees need infield depth because Gregorius is hurt and Duhart might not actually be able to play third base. I kind of like so- something like that. I don't know if I like Sonny Gray in Texas. I mean, also if you look at the, if you look at the list of starting pitchers available on the free agent market,
2: right? Corbin obviously,
1: yeah, better, gonna get paid.
2: But like, would you rather have Sunny Gray for one year, nine million, or Dallas Keuchel forever he wants?
1: Oh, that's really
2: interesting. I, I'm pretty down on Dallas Keuchel. But I'm just saying, so. like you know. Jay Happ, probably because of his age, is gonna be, get a modest deal, so I'd rather have whatever Happ's gonna get over Gray. Same with Charlie, Charlie Morton and Happ are serving the same thing. He's kind of late bloomers who might actually be good values, in my opinion. Lance Lynn, oh, see Sabathia already resigned. You know, like Lance Lynn, I guess Eovaldi's like kind of the wild card. But like, based on what, that, Matt Harvey, like based on what's out there, Sending Gray for one year, nine million is looking kind of good.
1: Like the Brewers? You think the Brewers would love a guy and like that? And if he that. has a good year, you give him a qual. He's a guy you'd feel good giving a qualifying well, offer that, to. That's the thing, too. Is like you think about all these rebuilding teams, right? You try to get a guy who's just going to give you innings, and then maybe you flip him at the deadline. You know the, the Padres, the Marlins, the White Sox, the Reds just hired Derek Johnson, who was his pitching coach at Vanderbilt, which is real cool. The Giants, you know, back to the Bay Area, pitch in that ballpark. It's not, it's not hard to find a team who's going to want Sonny Gray. He's not an ace, he's never been an ace, but. He seems like he could still be a league average pitcher, even though for whatever reason, uh, it did not work out in Yankee Stadium. Now, one team I really, really like for Sonny Gray is the Houston Astros. I think we just talked about this like two weeks ago on this show. Uh, They are really, really good at finding guys and bringing them to Houston and just making them better. Right? Garrett Cole. Ryan Presley, Justin Verlander, like the list has kind of gone on and on for a couple of years now. It's their thing. It's their, yeah, it's, call McHugh. Like it's Yeah, it's it's really what they've done. And if you look at their rotation, so last year they had like a historically good uh, pitching staff they had the they were tied for the third best era minus since 1945 that basically means they were 24 percent better than league average tied for the third best since the end of world war ii that's really good they had five starters making 152 of their starts they were one of only three teams with five guys who made 22 starts apiece but you look at those five guys mccullers blew out his elbow he's out for the 2019 morton's a free agent keichel's a free agent cole is going to be a free agent after the upcoming season and verlander is going to be a free agent after the upcoming season. That's all five of those guys who might not be there a year from now. Or at least not healthy. And, you know, they have a ton of internal options. You could put McHugh back in the rotation. You could put Peacock back I know, in the I kinda rotation. Like
2: Pe- I kind of like Peacock in his role now. No, but
1: no, but I mean, for McHugh too. He's like an okay starter. He was really good in the bullpen last year. You know, they've got uh, Forrest Whitley, top prospect. Josh James, who came out throwing fire last year. I love the idea of putting well, him given in.
2: Given their depth, and a, prob- a lot of these guys have minor league options left, yeah. they're def- this is a team that's definitely going to be doing some openers this year.
1: Uh yeah, that's probably right. Like, you know, Fran Bravdez and Corbin Martin and Ciano Perez, like they have a lot of guys that they can use, but I feel like they need to go out and find one of these guys that they can improve. And it's not, you know, sure, go get Patrick Corbin. Like great. He's awesome, you know? But it's that's too easy. Like I want I want them to find a guy who is underperformed uh and improve him. And you know, a month ago I think I would have said Ivaldi, uh now it just seems like he's too much of the he's property. He's yeah, he's hey. too he's too well known. So um I just I just wrote about this and I thought it was interesting. If you look at what they do, they love spin. And, you know, we've talked about this. Spin rate does not by itself make you a good pitcher, just like velocity doesn't. Uh, but it's a an ace tool to have. And they seem to be better than anybody else at helping pitchers harness it, right? Like Verlander and Morton and Brian Presley, for sure, are all these high spin outliers. They were number one in four-seam spin last year as a team. And number one in curveball spin last year as a team by a full 8% over the number two team. Uh, the top four four-seam spin teams last year, Houston, Yankees, Dodgers, Cleveland, uh that seems to tell me something although Cleveland was tied with Detroit so it's not everything uh so anyway I wrote about what guys I thought that they would be able to improve Sonny Gray is very high on this list right I mean he's perfect he's healthy he's had success in the AOS uh high spin guy I I feel like like this
2: trade might be happening now it's like it's it's, it makes so much sense like I just it happens by the time we finish this podcast I hope it does
1: um Trevor Cahill who's like kind of been inconsistently healthy but it's sort of been kind of good for Houston, uh, for Oakland last year and for San Diego the year before that. A very high. Yeah, he was football.
2: like a, a dark horse to start the uh, yeah the wild card game.
1: And you know he's never healthy, but they don't need a guy who's going to throw 250 innings anymore. Um, speaking of guys who aren't healthy, and also speaking of Nathan Ivaldi, I love Garrett Richards. Now, he blew out his elbow. He's not going to pitch next year, but that's okay. We've seen this. This is what the Rays did with Ivaldi. They signed him before 2017 to a two year deal. They let him rehab the first year, and you know they got like sixty good innings this year and then traded him for a decent prospect. You could absolutely see the Astros doing that. And longtime listeners of this show have known we've been talking about Garrett Richards since like 2015. Uh rarely rarely healthy, always effective, insanely high spin. He was like the guy before Seth Lugo was the
2: he was guy. the first guy when we like got access to spin rate we we're yeah. like, whoa look at this. Like, guy.
1: Yeah. Uh he's perfect there. Uh you know Drew Pomerance is one of those guys, very high spin fastball. Uh Jeremy Hellickson, very good curveball. And I also thought it was interesting a bonus trade idea what if they traded for Tyler Chatwood Tyler Chatwood is this a guy we trumpeted like this last winter saying he's going to be the next like you,
2: like, you really oh whoa. Oh, 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 oh. he was terrible it was, it was awful he, he I'm more. sure that the Cubs are like yes why but yes what's I, what's I, could, I would love it I would love to interest he, you in a uh...
1: He had more walks and strikeouts I'm not saying they would do it but it wouldn't cost them anything the Cubs would probably pay half the salary and say take him, see if you can unless him.
2: unless the Astros have any kind of no the Astros don't really have any like dead money guys do they? I
1: looked it up they like have almost nobody signed past you know a couple of years from now which they're gonna to need to get on you know Bragman and Correa all that um but I don't know I just I think the Astros are getting a reputation now as the place you go if you want to you know get fixed it used to be like San Diego when that was a huge pitchers park or like Pittsburgh because race heritage was like the pitcher whisperer yeah now I think it's Houston because of the, the technology it's it's kind of cool it's just like a big change yeah for sure um there's so many free agents to talk about should we talk about Josh Donaldson
2: Yes, he's kind of like, he's a little, there's some similarities with Pollock, I think. He hasn't had the injury history, but he's definitely coming down, uh, coming off a down year. He w- did miss a lot of this year. There's concerns about the age, the injury, but like, man, when he's played the last couple of years, he's been quite good.
1: Uh, since 2012, which was kind of, you know, when he started breaking out, he was second only to Mike Trout and wins above replacement. So among human beings, he's been the most valuable player. Granted, he's
2: seven years old. and You've got to keep him mad, though. I understand. I understand. He turns 33 in December. That's,
1: that's. I- That's kind of a big deal. Selective endpoints. I get it. He turned, yes, turns 33 in December last year. Uh, 3.52 on base, a 4.49 slugging. It's not a bad year, certainly. It's a, a 17% above average, uh, but it's also not what he was known for. He only played 52 games last year, and I think this is probably the best example of how he was viewed. He was traded from Toronto to Cleveland for a 27-year-old mm-hmm. minor leaguer who'd put up a 5.32 ERA the year before and missed all of this year due to Tommy John surgery, which is to say he was traded for essentially the roster spot. Uh, with Toronto, early in the year, didn't do that well. 333 on base, 423 slugging, uh, 105 weighted runs created plus, 28% strikeout rate, which is high for him, and 89.7 mile an hour exit velocity with Cleveland. And now remember, 60 plate appearances, super small sample sizes here. Hit uh, 400 on base, 520 slugging, 149 weighted runs created plus, cut that strikeout rate from 28 to 17. Up to the exit velocity to 91.2. That slash line of 280, 400, 520, almost identical to his 2016 season where he finished fourth in the MVP voting. Again, 60 plate appearances. I get it. Um, And if you look at his expected weighted on base, 2015 it was 389, which is fantastic. The next year, 408, which is fantastic. 2017 it was 396, which is fantastic. Last year, Toronto 306, very bad. But with Cleveland, 401 which what's the outlier there for me it's kind of the beginning of last year not the end so much um
2: i mentioned this to you and it was so smart you put it in your uh your story i know where this is going (laughs) Uh, he's sort of like the hitting version of jake arieta who last year was like last year was coming off a bit of a down year by his standards but had been recently dominant and got a three-year 75 million dollar deal i think donaldson's gonna get that kind of deal i'd want him um if i were a team looking for a third baseman i would be
1: I think he's going to get a three-year deal. Yeah. I agree with you on yeah. that. So I looked at the data, because um, not only is he getting a little bit older, but his injuries were lower body injuries. He's had repeated calf injuries. So the first thing will not surprise you at all. If you look at his sprint speed, it's getting a little bit worse. Uh, each of the previous three seasons, 2015 to 2017, he was about 50th percentile in, in sprint speed, roughly league average, more or less. Last year, that dropped down to the 21st percentile none of this is surprising but i also thought this was kind of cool i looked at it uh, on a monthly basis going all the way back to 2015 and i didn't look at his average sprint speed i just looked at his single individual peak sprint speed like what's the fastest he could possibly go and for the first two years in 2015 and 2016 uh, you know it was pretty consistent his peak sprint speed per month was always somewhere in the 28 to 29 feet per second range which is good uh, but it's not elite right the elite guys are well over 30 2017 uh, started off a little bit worse. It dropped down into the 27 feet per second range, but not surprisingly, he started having the calf injuries. And the second half of the season, when it seemed like he was healthy, back up the 28, 29 feet per second range. Now, this year, he only played in three months, right? So enormous grain of salt here. But he had, in September, when he was playing almost every day with Cleveland, uh, his peak September sprint speed was a 26.4 feet per second play where he scored from first base, on a Milky Caprera double on September 19. That was his slowest monthly peak of the last four seasons. So immediately you think to yourself, old guy with a leg injury, even when he's supposedly healthy, that's a problem. But here's like sort of what makes the data so difficult sometimes. Two days after that, he told Jordan Bastian, our Cleveland Cleveland Indians uh, beat reporter, the more positive reps I continue to gain, the more trust in that I'll continue to have. I haven't opened it up 100% yet on the base paths. So is that an indicator of, well, don't worry about it because he didn't try that hard, or worry about it because he's still so worried about it that he's not trying hard? You know, that's this is the the big question everybody's got to answer.
2: Um yeah, but I think that I mean there's just too he's been too good and I I think they'll be in demand. I think that I mean the the Blue Jays did him such a favor by oh trading God, him yes, to not give him the qualifying offer. Like I think that what they got, the qual the, the the draft pick competition they would have gotten for him. Is almost certainly more valuable. I think they're middle. They would have gotten a pick after the second round. I I think he might have accepted it. Which is from Toronto? I'd say okay. Yeah, I mean, like, I would have been too. Like I'd say okay, sure.
1: I'll I'll have Josh Donaldson back. They did him a huge favor. I agree. Uh, the Steamer projections came out recently, and he is projected as the third best hitter behind obviously Machado and Harper uh, among any free agent hitters. He is projected for a four and a half win season and a rated runs created plus of one thirty one. That would have made him the eighth most valuable third baseman last year. Remember, it's not a deep third base pool right now. Adrian Beltre may or may not retire. And Mike Mustakas, who's younger, but has never been as good. That's pretty much it.
2: I think that there's, you know, there's been this talk, you know, Will Leach wrote a piece on our site about how the Cardinals need to go get Bryce Harper. Ken Roosevelt reported today that like the Cardinals are probably not going to be in on Bryce Harper, which could be a bluff. To me, there was talk of Josh, the Cardinals training for Donaldson last year. That's the move that I think is like the, I thought that's that, the one that I think is going to happen.
1: I, You know, I thought that for a while and now I've, I've kind of changed my mind on that. I think that, um, I don't love the idea of Donaldson with an NL team. Just if the calf really starts hurting, you want to have a DH spot for him. He also had some throwing issues last year, too. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. That shoulder, you remember some of those throws? That, yeah. was, like, that was like, you know, the bad David Ray is what we saw. You, just, you can just flip him to first base and a carpenter right That's not great either. And then it means you've got to keep DeYoung at shortstop and they need to fix their defense. Um, and then the other thing is that they're, they're very right-handed. Like, I feel like Harper's actually a better fit because they could use that lefty bat in there. I'm not saying it won't happen, um, but I do think he'll get a three-year deal. And it's, you know there's so many teams that could be out on, on him too. Right? I just also
2: love the idea. Like there's something about like Josh Johnson. Josh Donaldson seems like one of these like chip on his shoulders kind of guys, like the Cubs drafted him and never really believed in him and kind yeah. of just like trade him away. Like, th- you know, threw him in. I could see him being like, you know what? I'm going to sign with the Cardinals and just like, go like stick it to the Cubs. <laughs> it just feels like kind of like his personality. I could be projecting a little bit, but, uh, I don't know. That's part of the, uh, that's maybe that's in my mind. That's sort of like fixated on that.
1: I wouldn't be mad if that happens. Um, the readership of Fangraphs predicted a three-year, fifty-eight million dollars contract. Seems about right to me. I think if, like two years ago, you were thinking about this, he'd be like, "Oh, he's getting one hundred and fifty million dollars," but I don't think that's happening. Again. So, who do you think the best hit for him is? Well, I mean, the Cardinals make a lot of sense. I mean, it'd be pretty fun to see the the Mets go out and do it, but I won't. I think the Twins make a lot of sense. Back well, to back, the Mets, to, the Mets come back
2: to the same problem you had before about. Uh, club. i do club. I don't, I don't think... Oh, I, know, I know. They could easily... I mean, that's the thing about the Mets. They could easily... I think Todd Frazier, who's got one year left on the deal, you could easily find a, a spot uh, for him.
1: Back to Cleveland makes a lot of sense. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to see Yandy Diaz playing third base every day, because I think that's what they'll do. Um, but it doesn't have to be him. You know, keep Ramirez his second base. I keep hearing that the White Sox are going to go do something nuts. If they don't get Machado, maybe it's Josh Donaldson. I don't know.
2: Machado would make sense, because he sort of fits into a larger timeline for them. Yeah. You know, but like, Donaldson is... If you, you, you wanna you you are a win now if you sign Donaldson, you really need you, you you're a win now team.
1: What about this? Uh they won't have the DH spot available for obvious reasons when I say this. Anaheim. The Angels. They need they need bats. David Fletcher is not a roadblock for me.
2: Um or Josh Donaldson. And also I mean, the thing about Anaheim, and this is like we're getting real into the dominoes here, <laughs> it's like if Otani's gonna be healthy enough to play this season and DH ninety percent of the time they're gonna have to really seriously consider DFAing Albert Pools.
1: I've been saying this for a year. And but, it, and a half. but my
2: point is, in which case,
1: then you don't have to worry. The DH spot after this year will kind of open up again. Oh, well, that's true. They won't do that. Uh, the last time I tweeted this, uh, the reaction I got from fans was something I never considered, which is that the 2019 schedule had just come out. And it's the first time, I can't remember if it was ever or in many, many years, that the, first, the, that ever... the, that the Angels are going to go to St. Louis. Yeah. And so they're like, well, they won't cut him because they want him to go back to St. Louis. And I'm like, that's cool for St. Louis fans. I don't see how this is the Angels' problem whatsoever. <laughs> but it's they're not going to do it. So anyway, um, the final thing we want to talk about here is Harrison Bader, who is... Quickly becoming one of my favorite players. I think Harrison Bader is a short, uh, excuse me, center fielder for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he did not win any of the major defensive awards. He wasn't a finalist for the Gold Glove in the National League, and uh, during won, and we love Ciarte, so that's fine. He didn't win the Wilson Defensive Player of the Year award in center, which somehow went to Kevin Kiermeyer, who I love Kevin Kiermeyer, but he played 30 fewer games than Bader, who didn't even start all season, so that was really surprising to me. And if you look at at our numbers, Harrison Bader was probably the best defensive outfielder in baseball this year. And now there's a couple ways to look at that. The easiest is outs above average. He had 21 tied within Arte for number one, just ahead of Kane, Adam Engel, Billy Hamilton. So right away, that's pretty cool, right? He had the most outs above average, or at least tied in baseball, but he didn't play every day. Remember, the Cardinals outfield to start the year was Marcelo Zuna, Dexter Fowler, and Tommy Pham, he only, Bader only started 14 of the first 107 games in center field, a couple more in the corners, and then 51 of the remaining 55 games. So when you look at a guy who hasn't played every day, so he played 915 outfield innings, fifty sixth most, 426 fewer innings than Inciarte did to get to the same number... If that's above average. So let's look at this on a rate basis, uh, and we do that with a metric called catch percentage added. Basically, what that means is that the difficulty of every ball hit to Harrison Bader, an average outfielder, would have been expected to catch 85% of those. Well, he caught 93% of those. That's a net gain of plus eight. That's the most in baseball. Uh, nobody else had a more than plus five. Hamilton, Angle, and CRT again. And I think we might almost be shortchanging him a little bit because. Our metrics right now are just about range. They're not accounting for arm. Well, of the 25 hardest throws tracked by Cardinals this year, 17 of them were for Harrison Bader, who didn't even play all every day. Um... And also, I'm a little biased here because when I wrote about this and tweeted it out yesterday, Harrison Bader retweeted it, so I appreciate <laughs> that. But I figure players always like it when someone they don't know says very nice things about them. Harrison Bader did not win any hardware. I posit that he should have.
2: Yeah, it seems like the, the numbers give a compelling case, and it you know a lot of these uh, defensive awards are very reputation based. So sometimes it takes a while to build a reputation, and then then you start winning them regularly. Although of course, Lorenzo Cain has still never won one. Uh, never the that-
1: yeah, but that's not reputation. Like I, I get, so I heard that a lot. Right, Kane's never won one, and before this year, Jackie Bradley had never won one. It's like, do you guys know who's been playing in the American League for the last few years? Like Kiermaier and Pollard and it's, and uh, and Buxton. Well, and that's and also Prout. one
2: of one of the things I think people also kind of forget when they talk about this is that they did, am I correct in that they changed it? They actually give. They used to just give three outfield,
1: and now they split it.
2: They to, split it yeah. so, like, if you're a center fielder, you're only up against center fielders, right? So, like, when they used to give just outfield, three center fielders would win like, it. Jackie
1: Bradley's really, really good. He's not, in my opinion, better than Buxton or Kiermaier.
2: And of course, now, like you know, Alex Gordon's won a bunch of Gold Gloves, like yeah,
1: because there, there are no left fielders. That's exactly what I'm saying. Anymore. So it's like it's it's
2: sort of like you have to recalibrate when you talk about guys. Oh, he's won X amount of Gold Glove awards. Yeah. It really changes the scale. Because like you know Alex Gordon's gonna retire and be like oh a ten time Gold Glove winner not to say he's not I'm making that number up but it's gonna be a big number and um, you know Lorenzo Keys never won it it's just simply because of like the way outfield positions are now judged
1: yeah and I, I mean the one fair point here is you know Bader didn't play every day he was a backup until August and then you know most of his uh, impressive numbers came in the final two months but I mean I feel like if there's anything that these metrics are kind of helping us do it's get to the truth of these things maybe a little more quickly. Which, you know, I think that's what teams need to do when they're projecting out. So, uh, to you, Harrison Bader, we give you an unofficial, unnamed award. You are the best defensive outfielder of the StatCast podcast for 2018. Congratulations. He's actually from the New York area. Yes. Uh, Maybe we can get him to come into the studio. I feel like we know people who know Harrison Bader. We'll figure that out. Uh, Thanks for listening to our show. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast.